Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 66. Tonight, we're going to talk about our WWDC 2016 recap, and we're not going to go in too much into detail about the actual keynote, because by now you've probably watched it and you've heard it on the podcast and they've rehashed it quite a bit. So we'll add our own two cents and then get into a little bit more meat about the the actual conference itself. Yeah, and Sam, you were there in the audience, uh, experiencing it in person, and then Alex was at AltConf during that time, so you might be able to share a little bit about the, uh, what everybody who didn't get tickets were doing in uh, San Francisco, and then I was back home in Cincinnati trying to keep up with the videos. Yeah, so I actually went to the keynote in the morning, and then went to AltConf in the afternoon. So if that tells you a little bit about Bill Graham itself. So what was it? You know, this is the first year at Bill Graham. So how how did that affect the the keynote? Well, it had some positive things. Okay, like one the the hall there does hold a lot more people, and the seating though was much more cramped. Uh, I think it's an older venue too, so it's definitely not up to par as far as what I would say is normal for a California venue that maybe would help out people with special needs of some kind. There were, there were elevators of course, but I don't think the actual arena itself was that handicap friendly compared to say Moscone West. And for me, you know, I'm six, three, so not very small. And those seats, were probably built for people when the average height was five three or something, so it felt a little cramped. But yeah, Sam did uh, come join me in the Metreon for the State of the Union. He was like, "Are the seats better there?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the good news was you didn't have to line up at five a.m. to get a spot in in the theater, and really, because it's a theater. Most spots are good spots. There weren't like a lot of blind spots or anything like that. So you didn't have to worry too much. I got there about 7 a.m. and got a decent place in line, not great, and still got, got nosebleed seats, but they weren't bad nosebleed seats. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I prefer waiting in line at, at uh, Moscone versus Bill Graham or not. It's, it's a bit of a toss up. What about a, as a venue for the bash? How did you like it? Oh, I, I liked the uh, Yerba Buena Gardens a lot better. Um, this was in, so it's indoor, and the band that was playing was Good Charlotte, and before that they had a uh, San Francisco DJ, and there was just a lot of bass, a lot of loud music, and there was no real talking to people, unless you happen to be lucky and find this other ancillary area that was kind of off to the side where the download area had been on the keynote day. And there you could actually hear people. You could get to the food easily. You could get drinks easily, which ended up being a little bit of an issue for me later. Hmm. But, <laughs> but otherwise, that part was good. The, uh, the band and the music was a little loud, my taste. At Yerba Buena, you can just kind of go off to the side and still talk to people. and It's not really a problem. But... 
Bill Graham, you're kind of stuck in there. And as far as the location goes, too, it wasn't it wasn't horrible. I walked both ways each time to get to there to to get to it. So and it, it was only like a mile and some change. It wasn't really bad. The area that you walk through is a little rough, so it's better to go in a group. But other than that, not too bad. Cool. I I would like to point out that uh, you were a little bit uh, seen into the future with our last episode, Sam, and you asked uh, how how this new technology can rickroll us. Seems like <laughs> oh, yeah. you found out. <laughs> <laughs> Apple definitely delivered on that one with iMessage. <laughs> That's a... Yeah, they even put the, the image search right in the messages, too, so you can look up a rickroll image right there and send it with a swipe to reveal, and boom. Yeah. Of course, I'm a little worried that people are going to use this as an excuse to send more... Um, racy unwanted pictures as well that would be swiped to reveal yeah it's already a problem i think where guys think it's a good thing to send pictures of their genitals <laughs> so if you're if you're a guy out there listening don't do it it's never a good idea and don't swipe to don't set a swipe to reveal or big impact thing on there either that's just classless no they didn't no, I don't feel like they went as far as Google did in terms of creating the the sexting app. I mean, Google's Allo was more akin to Snapchat than the uh, the extensions for iMessage. So, I mean, to some degree, I think iMessage was more little gimmicky things, ways to extend it, ways to integrate apps. So you've got another channel to promote your apps where users happen to be. I mean, they made the comment. I think on the the talk show in an interview later about you know why they focused on iMessage so much and that's because that's where most of the users spend most of their time. And so, you know, if you want to go where your users are, iMessage most likely is is the place. <laughs> well, looking at my battery stats after loading up the beta and uh after the first day, I think iMessages had about more than a third of my battery usage and also a good portion of on-screen time in the last over the last 24 hours. And so, and that's because we were really just having fun with all the, the different uh, plugins and things you could do with it. Yeah, you guys were yeah. going to town in that chat. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty fun. I mean, it definitely had to, had to turn off notifications on it for a while there. Yeah, my son got the, um, I got his watch updated uh, to the latest watch OS and he wanted to try it out. And it finally finished installing after two or three hours at like midnight. So, you know, <laughs> after I had fallen asleep, he sent me 14 messages. And even if you have do not disturb on after <laughs> repeated messages, they all come through at once. And my f watch was buzzing for about five minutes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I installed that thing over hotel Wi-Fi. And when I started it, it said, this uh, will be installed in 56 hours. <laughs> but I woke up and I guess the congestion went away during the night. <laughs> yeah. I guess my hotel Wi-Fi was a little bit better than yours because it, it still only took a few it took a few hours to do it. And it was a long process. but And I don't know how much of it was downloading to the phone or downloading from the phone to the watch. And at least maybe I don't understand how it works, but I feel like there's the the phone's playing this intermediary role. Yeah, it is. For right now, anyway. 
I really think that it's something that they're going to take care of with the new watch. Just, just a gut feeling based on the content of the sessions and the things that were added. I almost feel like this might be the release, the new watch that doesn't require a phone. Yeah, I think the biggest question is whether or not they'd put a um, a cell radio into the watch itself, so it can can have access anywhere and everywhere that your phone has access. I mean, right now you it can do uh, known Wi-Fi access points. Yeah, yeah, it would be a pain, I think, to enter a Wi-Fi password on your watch. Yeah, well, you can just. Speak to it with Siri, but <laughs> I do think they've done a pretty good job with the betas. At least, like for the phone, for example, you just download the over-the-air profile and install the betas that way, and that was fairly painless. Um, the watch, you have to update the phone before you can do the watch. But other than the time to download it and install it, um, it it's a fairly painless process. Haven't tried. You don't have to sacrifice your. Uh, your main phone, if you don't want to, because you can pair multiple phones uh, to a watch as of WatchOS 2 or something, or maybe it was a later update of WatchOS 2. Oh. oh, I thought it was multiple watches to one phone. Not, not true. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe you can do multiple of everything. <laughs> uh, the interface looks like you could have multiple multiple watches in the the watch app on yeah, the maybe, phone. But maybe it's just multiple watches. Maybe I've got that wrong. You can cut that part mm-hmm. out, Sam. <laughs> but other than a developer, I don't know how many people have multiple watches. The, unless you you've got your rose gold and your ten thousand dollar gold watch and your sport watch yeah. that you use for different purposes. But other than that, I <laughs> I don't know why you'd have multiple. Argo, was that somebody at AltConf that was walking around with a gold watch? I did not notice that. Seems okay. impossible. <laughs> I seem maybe read. it was, maybe it was uh, not that. Maybe it was that done then. I think then they come out with a a gold sport watch at one point. Mm, it wouldn't I be as know. shiny, but yeah. Well, you could definitely get it gold plated if you wanted for yeah. a few hundred dollars. Yeah. So, kind of jumping back to the betas, um, I didn't install the macOS or tvOS yet, but so far the iOS and the and the watchOS betas have been surprisingly stable for a beta one. I mean, they're they're certainly glitchy in a few places, and kind of the usual suspects like audio tends to be a little glitchy and rotation on the iPads a little glitchy, but other than that. I've been impressed with how stable they've been. Yeah, um, watchOS three. It's been a surprise to me. I, I fully expected six seven hour battery life like watchOS two was, and I don't think it's much more off than it was before. It seems like I'm getting normal battery life out of it. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that's like. The biggest surprise of the watchOS update is the they were able to fix a lot of the the challenges with earlier versions in terms of startup speed of of apps, and for the most part, it doesn't seem to have that big of an impact on on the the battery life throughout the day. And this is still beta one, so it's likely to get a better. Yeah, they could still mess it up. 
but yeah, this is a good one. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, other than like, you know, they've, they've guaranteed 50 background updates. Um, and you can pick how you want to slice that up throughout the day, but you get 50 updates at a minimum throughout the day. Hmm. But you know, once, once those apps are, are launched, they kind of stay in memory. You know, the apps that are in the dock, the commonly used apps. Uh, so the things that you do a lot should be very responsive. And I think a lot of us were expecting that to require a hardware update. So yeah, I think they did a good job. And I think they looked at a lot of the things that didn't make sense with the previous versions and how people actually use the watch and, and made some pretty smart decisions to, on how to fix it, such as replacing the glances with, with the dock and the honeycomb menu system kind of goes away. I don't, as far and, as I know, it's not the, still there. No, it's the little, still there. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. The little contact picker is gone. Yeah. Where you could hit the bottom button and cycle through with the crown. Oh, I thought you were talking about like the main app picker. Well, there's, I, I was. Main but, app? But yeah. Yeah, the main app picker is still the same. Okay. But you normally don't have a reason to go there. I mean, you just go to your dock, grab the apps that you use all the time and, and you're good. Yeah. But the, the contacts, kind of your fave five type of contacts. Yeah. That, that went away. Glances have gone away. Um, yeah. Text messaging is easier now. Yeah. Because you can draw your letters out. I used that a, a few times. And, you know, there's now a pretty good opportunity to create games for the app with SyncKit and SpriteKit. Um, so we should see some, some interesting games for the watch. Probably some dumb ones yeah. too, but, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure we'll see snakes and things like that. You know, your, pong. your typical. Definitely need a pong. Yeah. And, uh, we now have more <laughs> first class, um, gesture support. So before I think we only had tap and we didn't really get position so much. Now we've got tap and pan and swipe and long press. And yeah, and you can create your own component that uses the digital crown. Before that, only worked on uh, pickers. Yeah, the the sock puppet stuff still seems to be there, but I found it interesting that, especially with this new notifications framework, where they're adding more rich content to the notifications, that one of their demos was using SpriteKit along with the the notification stuff to show like animated photos from a uh, photos app notification. And that was pretty neat. So it seems like now your answer to any kind of animations on WatchKit is going to be use SpriteKit. But I guess that makes SpriteKit a little bit more relevant. Uh, I think people have kind of said, well, SpriteKit's great, but I need to have my game on this other platform and maybe on Windows. PCs as well, and so they just kind of ignore SpriteKit. From an app developer perspective, it might be good just to have a, a basic understanding of SpriteKit now. Yeah. It's a fairly well done, and you get into the GameKit stuff, and there's quite a bit of functionality there for building games that, um, you know, it's not going to get you the other platforms, but it definitely can get you Mac OS, iOS, watchOS, and tvOS now so if you're good living in the Apple ecosystem you can yeah. you get a lot uh, for free with sprite kit 
Yeah, it's it's cross-platform in the way that Windows apps used to be cross-platform because they would run under Windows NT and 95 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, tvOS, nothing really stood out to me with tvOS yeah. other than you know dark mode and you know better better search and single sign-on, which yeah. you know I'm a cable cutter, so I'm not going to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, it's very much a, a point release. Masquerading as a major release. Yeah. It it was interesting that dark mode came for that, but not for iOS itself. Yeah. That yeah, had think, been a rumor before. Yeah, it kind of makes you know it makes sense for TVOS to have the dark mode because of you know your home theater setup. You know, bright screen doesn't always make sense, but um, and then you get it get it for fairly cheap. Yeah. And if you're doing a well, TVML yeah. app, they're all kind of the same anyway in terms <laughs> of the, the layout. I mean, they're almost all following a similar layout. So, Right. Now, as far as dark mode goes, the WWDC app was kind of like what a dark mode would look like. And that thing was kind of hard to look at out, outside. So I don't I don't think we're actually going to see a, a full-on dark mode anytime soon. And then, uh, let's see. Mac OS... Um, you know, the big things were the name change, which makes sense, lined up with the other platforms. And then Siri. Yeah. Siri's kind of a, a big deal for the Mac. Um, not sure how much use it'll get, but I think it's a welcome addition. I think the biggest limitation right now with SiriKit is that, well, Siri and SiriKit, is that you only get... I think there's seven or eight different intents right now. Yeah, the domains. Yeah, so you can send a message. You can order a ride, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you can't, say, do something completely random outside of that yeah. spectrum. I suspect that will expand over time, but it's you know part of the, you know, without developers having to write their own kind of vocabulary language parser, you know, in, in order to determine all the different ways you might ask for a service. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, you know, they're starting with these this handful of domains, and uh, we'll probably see that grow. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they, they said that that's kind of how they do it. They, they do it internally first, then they open up, like, a limited version to developers, and then they you know, go whole hog. It's kind of like the share sheets, how they started with just the, the Twitter and the Facebook versions. And then, oh, now we've got these extensions that everyone can do. So I, I think it'll definitely get better. Yeah. And I think, you know, along those lines, you know, talking about extensions, you know, this is like extensions part two. And like that, that's kind of the theme of here's all the other places we think extensions might make sense for your apps. And there, there really wasn't a whole lot of places where, you know, I got inspired by a new feature to, to build a whole new standalone application, but there's all these new places your app can integrate with a platform and maybe get exposure to a lot more users than it would have before. Right. Because right now you're you're one in two million. Yeah. According to the keynote. Yeah. Which, you know, I think a lot of people probably saw that number and, and cringed a little bit of that's <laughs> uh, that's a big number. Yeah. Right. And yeah, and, it's not so much for the developers, it was for all the, the people watching at home. <laughs> yeah. 
The next year it's going to be three million, and a million of those are going to be sticker apps. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I did like the iMessage stuff. I think that has a lot of potential for some great apps to come out. Yeah, and if it, it's a really interesting model too, of if you can find a way to integrate your app into messages, it encourages your users to spread that app to other users because in order to consume the features and content of your application in iMessage, the other user gets prompted to install the app. So right. it's a potentially really powerful marketing tool. Mm -hmm. And yep. there are other places but like that, uh, that Apple added uh, that, you know, every developer should take a look at the uh, user activity. Was it NS user activity? I think it's something everybody should be looking at to see how you can help, um, promote your app throughout the system. Yeah, I think maybe we need a special show on NS user activity because that was something that continually came up as a theme. It seems to be one of those classes now that's just got a lot of importance. Yeah, and, and to some degree, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it seemed like, you know, we're now thinking of creative ways to help you promote your apps outside of the app store. And through NS user activity is one of those, those ways. Um, I, th I think there was a, an interview or a post where Phil Schiller talked about this kind of secret team of people who are thinking about different ways to help developers promote their apps and fix the app store. And so, <laughs> you know, we might see more seems of this. Like, seems like they're going to fix the app store by making it irrelevant in some ways. Right, because if I don't have to go into the App Store to download this cool new iMessage plugin, right? And there were a couple of different places. I I can't remember uh, what they all were off the top of my head, but places where you can, you know, basically these separate stores that surface apps for a particular purpose. Right. Um, yeah, and I don't I don't know if they're necessarily going to make the App Store irrelevant because people already aren't using it much. Um. I mean, I've seen a bunch of studies recently, and I don't know if Apple talked about it at all, but, uh, I mean, the average number of apps that people install in a given month is, like, less than one, like, so, it, yeah, yeah, it is just new ways to, to get apps. Hopefully, it won't detract from the App Store, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, if your app happens to play in a space where it's nice not to have to worry about somebody discovering it through the app store, then it's a good thing for you. And if you yeah. think about, you know, if people really are spending most of their time in iMessage or Facebook messages or, you know, an app like that, then, you know, those, those end up, end up being better marketplaces for you. Oh yeah. Run. I do think it's a, it's a good opportunity. I just don't think they're going to decrease the app store at all. It's just not, it doesn't have that much going on for it right now. <laughs> Yeah. So the whole week I was out there and I'm sitting in these different sessions and I had a little notebook with me. And every time I got an app idea based on something they were talking about, I'd write it down. And I probably have well over a dozen app ideas in, in this book now. So I was definitely inspired. Probably have at least half a dozen uh, iMessage app ideas that I'd like to see that I definitely won't have time to build. But I could see in some cases like you know, Jimmy John's will do group orders for their food, for their sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And 
or you could do a pizza building order or, or burritos or whatever. I could see places like that really offering the, like, Hey, let's go, let's put together a XYZ order and you could put in your stuff and then somebody else puts in their stuff and then just it all ships off to the, the actual, uh, vendor. Yeah. That'd be like, really cool. There's a couple of restaurant ordering apps that could definitely use an update. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of those restaurants actually just kind of outsource that ordering yeah. piece too. Right. Yeah, at least the kind of mid-sized well, chains seem to do that. Well, even the big ones. I mean, it seems like they'll come out with an update like once every two or three years, and that's. I mean, they don't have like an internal team working on their app. Right. It's, it's like you said, it's like, oh, well, I guess we need to do something now, so let's hire somebody and have them fix up the app or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like they, they probably look at it like they look at their websites in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, would, I think like a Mr. Potato Head would be cute, too. Rock, if, paper, scissors. Uh, yeah, card, card battles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Battleship. Although it's kind of weird because you don't get access to the name, though you do get of the person that you're in the chat with, you do get access to a what's supposed to be a um, consistent uh, randomized identifier. So it's always going to be the same for the same person as long as mm-hmm. your app is installed. And uh, that's going to be difficult because if you have to actually intersperse somebody's name in there, all you get access to is this little token. Uh, that's going to limit some things. Especially because those those identifiers, because Apple did say a lot of times that if you need to store a lot of state, you should store it on a server somewhere, like CloudKit, for instance. But you know, my ID is one thing, and then your representation of my ID will be another thing. And if we're both sending that up to CloudKit, it's going to be a little hard to to match those two together. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out as far as like gaming goes through iMessage. It seems like it might be more useful if you already have like a multiplayer uh, thing that could work inside messages too. So you already have like maybe their game center account or something like that that you can just tie to an ID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess maybe game center would be useful for that. If there, I mean, that's I what I'm sure that's what Apple would like you to use if you're <laughs> right. type of name or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you know the CloudKit side of it, they introduced the new sharing database, so sharing content between users is um, there's a whole new model for how to handle that. Right. It sounds so, like it just kills one of your app ideas, and that's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's <laughs> let's quickly talk about some of the the high points of iOS. That you know, Craig mentioned ten things, but um, and we already kind of talked about Siri. Um, there's a new lock screen home screen experience, which, uh, if you guys have installed the beta, it takes a little bit of getting used to, to, you know, there's no more swiped unlock, uh, which is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, swiped unlock's been there since version one. So yeah, now with version 10, yeah. it, it goes away. Yeah. That really got to me at first, but I think I'm kind of used to it now. It's definitely going to be one of those things that people are going to have an uproar about though, I think. Yeah. Well, I remember when iOS 7 came out, um, my youngest son being upset because they broke the swipe to unlock, um, just because it didn't look like a something to swipe anymore. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he, oh, yeah. he got 
confused and frustrated at first, but he got used to it after a while, and, and they did fix it uh, in later betas to to make it a little bit more obvious. It was a little too subtle in the first couple of betas, but uh, you know, I you know, I think there'll be some people that struggle with it, but you know, after a few days, you you start to get used to it. Well, and a lot of times Apple will uh, go like all the way in some direction in a beta. And like you said, they slowly ratchet it back. Like I remember the, I guess iOS 7, they did this a lot. They had that really thin text and people yeah. were just like, no, this is not cool. Yeah. And they eventually caved on that too. So, Which, you know, I mean, that, that reminds me, um, there's a f- several places within the new, um, the new beta on iOS 10 uh, where the buttons are, are much more buttony, <laughs> you know. There's there's a handful of places where there's these big, full color, solid color buttons that uh, you know seem like a bit of a departure from the iOS seven theme. Yeah, it's very unusual for Apple these days. I, I fight with our designers at work a lot. It's like, guys, you you can't put all these buttons in here. Not, it's not normal for the platform. Yeah, so I I can't think of all the pl- I've seen it in at least two different places now. Um, so keep an eye out for that. It, I'll be curious to see if they uh, keep that uh, throughout the betas. But like, they don't even just seem like you know like the old buttons. You know, just flat. They they're they're very large and hard to miss, and usually like a bright green or bright blue. <laughs> Do you remember which app off the top of your head had um, some of that? Not at the moment. I, delete that one off my I, I think there's at least two places I ran into that. I can't think of where they were. It is nice that you can actually delete apps now. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Hide them, um, so you can clean up your your screen a little bit. And, you know, any app that potentially has some sort of extension point or other apps can potentially rely on, you can't get rid of. But any of the kind of non-essential apps, you can you can hide. Yeah. Well, they read the beta notes on deleting apps because some of them, especially on iPad, you have to go through some extraordinary measures to get back if you accidentally delete it. Yeah. I think the intent is that you can re-download them from the app store, but it just reestablishes that soft link. Right. So let's see. Yeah, it's just hiding it. It doesn't actually delete the... You're not saving any space by deleting these apps. Yeah. yeah. But I can get rid of the little Apple folder that has all the junk apps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I heard that they would potentially update those apps outside of the usual iOS iOS update cycle, but that may not be the case. Um, but that that would be nice if Apple could iterate on on the individual apps without relying on an entire OS update, especially the, the podcast app. Yeah, <laughs> probably a few others. Let's see. Uh, we talked about Siri um, quite a bit already. Uh, some improvements to QuickType. You know, basically QuickType does away with the uh, Gboard that Google released, at least in messages. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know if you guys tried out the Gboard uh, keyboard from Google. That's some. No, some... didn't. I didn't feel like sending all that information up to Google. Yeah, yeah. So I actually it... really liked it. It was a it was a really good keyboard. It got it went away when I installed the the beta. I'm not sure why or how it went away, but it's. Probably a minimum privacy level on keyboards now. The, the new QuickType now offers about 80% of the functionality that the Gboard offered. Gboard's probably still a little bit more robust, but you know, things like identifying 
contacts, addresses, current location, you know, those types of things, emojis. Yeah. And it's all about the emojis. Oh, big time. Uh, the photos app fairly revamped a lot of computer vision for facial recognition and object and scene recognition. Um, you know, this, this whole memories concepts, uh, where it basically creates an entire, uh, slideshow for you based on your photos could be kind of intriguing. I'm personally curious if they have any access to that through the, uh, the photo uh, SDK. I've not seen any know. mention of that yet, but you know, I have an app that basically creates kind of these memory cards and it'd be nice to be able to take advantage of some of the computer vision, um, discovery that that's already being done in photos. There is a, a talk on advanced neural network using, uh, using, um, accelerate framework and i think it part of that talks about how they did a lot of the stuff that they're doing now so you might want to check that one out i don't think it's going to be as straightforward as <laughs> take a picture and tell me what's in this picture or anything like that but, yeah, i'm looking at the memories thing right now and it's uh it's kind of not quite there because it doesn't recognize that i went to san francisco the last week it does recognize it that i went there in 2013 mm. and gives me an option to create a photo album for that well, they do have to do all those calculations on the device, right? So maybe it yeah. just hasn't caught up yet. Yeah. And I remember when they added the facial recognition to the Photos app on the Mac, it took a while for it to, to learn the faces, and you had to train it to some degree. Uh, locations mm -hmm. you would think it would have an issue with. But uh, it, it, it's an interesting idea. I'm not sure if it's a developer-centric topic, no. and so it kind of depends on whether or not they give us access to any of that outside of the, the neural network. Um, See, so you also updated the maps, you know, another place to... Add an extension for your app, so things like ride sharing, you know, the the demo of um, searching for a restaurant, making a reservation, and then requesting a ride to get there. I don't know if right. that limits what domains are supported, or if it's you know if you can find a reason to create an extension. It's fairly open. I don't know if you guys yeah. know any more about that. I think that it looked good, but it didn't look as good as the stuff that Google demoed at I/O. Wasn't it Duo like a messaging? thing plug in in there until is their and, facetime equivalent basically yeah oh okay there was something maybe it was in the allo Allo's was their messaging yeah okay and allo it's like it almost had a bot built in and it would work with you to create these dinner reservations and movies and all that kind of stuff so what apple showed was good but i think google has something better there yeah and i, I think you know outside of like just having just completely open siri i think one of the big opportunities there is to have this kind of bot style interface to it to be able to do arbitrary commands um like you can with bots and other systems so you can yeah. do these creative solutions i don't think it has to be voice driven necessarily but like if you can have a bot of messages or your spotlight or somewhere to invoke uh, activities without having to actually talk to your phone well based on a lot of the new api that's in there and the things that they talked about while they didn't make any hardware announcements last week i really think that they're going to come out with some kind of amazon alexa competitor or echo competitor because you know, you've got this new speech recognition api that can pretty much translate what you've got or what you've said in real time. They've got Siri kit. Yeah, they also talked about the, the differential privacy too. So they kind of talked how they'll, they'll address right. the privacy issues. Mm -hmm. And they've beefed up HomeKit a lot too. It may not look like a trash can or air freshener like Google's does, but it'll be something. I, I would almost bet on it. Yeah, I think I would agree. Yeah, that definitely seems likely. What else What else do you think uh, API predicts is going to come? You've also mentioned the, the cellular in the watch for the yeah. next watch. Anything else? Um, I took a lot of notes. I think the 
their wide color things they talked about and the screen wake stuff is going to definitely it's definitely leading to an, toward an OLED display maybe sooner than we think the extra screen gestures on the home screen could mean a lack of a home button at some point i don't know that well that's, that's now that's stretch. the only way that you can unlock it though right well, it might not be a physical button yeah a force touch on a certain spot on your screen and it there's the fingerprint reader right in there. I think there's I been some rumors that the physical button will go away. I haven't heard those for a while, though. There was one leading up to WWDC. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes the 6 Plus just look huge, having that home button in there, compared to the equivalent screen-sized Android phone where they don't really have that home button. They're, they're all soft buttons. Yeah. I think you're going to need that Touch ID ring no matter what. Um, so I feel like there's going to be something physical there. Yeah. If, if they can get rid of it, I, I imagine they'll try. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, we don't need to go into these other topics, but they, they talked about updates to music and, and news that has less to do with developers, more to do with content providers and, and consumers. Uh, yeah, most of the developers in the keynote tuned out at that point. You saw a lot of heads buried in their phones. Yeah, it was definitely better than last year's half-hour um, <laughs> marathon. Yeah, both did a much on, better job than yeah. Eddie Q. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I, I was glad that they turned it over to her, and, um, and they kept it relatively short and to the point. Uh, news... Uh, they keep iterating on that probably i don't know if it's, it's better or not i i don't know i i probably use the news app more than most people i talk to only because i look at my notifications on my home screen mm. home kit you know we got the dedicated home kit app uh definitely some improvements there and one of the big changes is the phone now does voicemail transcription and third party voip providers are treated almost on equal footing as the phone app so if you prefer to use skype or some other service for your phone uh, you can do that now yeah it's interesting because it's, it's like your phone i mean your phone's always been not much of a phone it's just this portable computing device and now it's much more of a portable communicator that may or may not use a cellular network to make a voice call. Yeah, and then and they also talked about, you know, th this is another extension point, and one, one extension they talked about was a third party to identify spam numbers, which I think would be handy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice if uh, if the phone company provided that, but AT&T or whoever the providers are, but rather than showing you a block number. Yeah. There was an app that came out probably about a month ago, maybe two, that would send all your calls to voicemail, basically, and then it would then ring your phone with the call at some point. And at that point, it was doing a, uh, a reverse lookup on the phone number. And as long as your carrier provided that or supported that kind of thing, it would work. It's a little sketchy. I think a lot of those require some sort of paid service or paid access. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like in China there's a big issue with that. So yeah. they this this actual one I don't remember when it, what it was called, but it was it was free at least because it was probably in VC funding rounds at that point. I don't know. It was it was definitely interesting. I just didn't like that it would take over my voicemail for me. So now they don't have to. Yeah, pretty uh pretty good step in terms of that. And I, I I think you know all the platforms just felt like a um, iteration, you know, polish. And if you get into the session details. There's a lot of really nice improvements uh, in the APIs that go along with it. Like prime example of that would buy would be UI collection views. Now have the ability to kind of prefetch cells so they render before they come on screen, and even an option to prefetch data as well, rather than having to implement that yourself. Uh, they also have paging support, and uh, they added reordering support last year, but now it's kind of a little bit. Um, 
better supported with paging and, and you have uh, better support for dynamic cell heights or sizes. I wonder if they fixed horizontal paging on collection views because it's always been broken if so, you have a little bit of padding. Well, now there's an official paging support, you know, kind of like you get with a scroll view today um, with yeah. the collection views. So, I, you know, it's definitely a good improvement over what we had before. Pull the refresh is now built into anything with a scroll view, so table views and, um, and collection views. So lots of really nice improvements that should make scrolling performance a lot better and uh, reduce the kind of things that you have to build yourself yeah <laughs> to be fair i i use the refresh control on collection views all the time it was just you had to do a couple extra manual steps just adding it as a sub view yeah, i think i i i did that i started to do that on one application and then i found it was buggy on orientation change maybe you know there was something i had, had trouble with and it wasn't officially supported so uh now it is mm -hmm. so i've got a question for you guys uh i was watching in the norm normally the way a star software uh tends to watch the keynote just like oh no what are they gonna do to us that we have to you know spend the next however many months uh either fixing or updating or like what's this new feature that like all the apps are gonna have and if our app doesn't have it then we're left in the dust and we were kind of pleasantly surprised that you know at the end of the keynote and at the end of the state of the union we're like it seems like we just have to like do some testing there's nothing big that we have to like spend three months implementing did you guys get that feeling too i mean there's lots of opportunities for uh for uh for new things yeah yeah like, especially if you want well like i said before it feels like a lot of polish a lot of you know features mm -hmm. you might have had to implement on your own are now kind of standard or you know better apis um yeah this definitely felt like a bug fix cleanup improvement release rather than we're going to change everything yeah yeah with seven you had the the look and feel change with eight you had the the size classes being introduced and the threat of these large phones coming across and <laughs> we had to scramble a lot for those two and, and kind but, of along those lines like you know some of the improvements they made with auto layout is you can now kind of incrementally adopt it and i think there's a migrator um so you don't have to even convert everything to auto layout you can get more piecemeal and yeah. it'll automatically convert it to auto layout for you if you're still using springs and struts. So it's. Mm -hmm. I did run into a former colleague out there and he went to one of the labs just for some auto layout help. He's still having trouble adopting it in his own apps. Yeah. The one thing I didn't see with auto layout that I was hoping to see was dealing with the whole uh, scroll view and auto layout <laughs> issues. Like getting anybody who's tried to create a complex view inside of a scroll view with auto layout and just getting it to a point where there's no warnings uh, is, right. uh, takes takes a little bit of uh, magic. And if you accidentally knock something, you, you break the whole thing or you add another view and it's like, <laughs> feels like you had to start over again. Um, well, they did. They actually did offer some help for that they? In, in the new Xcode. Yeah, because you can suppress the warnings for a view on auto. <laughs> That's true. I mean, they did talk about <laughs> nice. um, using placeholder constraints, uh, which would to some degree solve part of the problem like you know, if you gave it a placeholder size for a containing view within a scroll view um you know that would probably address most of the issues but you could do that before it just uh it's a little bit better you got a few more options now than you had before so you can have design time and versus runtime constraints mm -hmm. yeah but yeah argo to answer your question i'm actually looking forward to the rest of my summer i don't think it's going to be such a mad <laughs> rush or anything i'm not going to spend time away from the beach because what do you I've mean you've got like my app. you've got 12 apps you gotta write sam <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but i don't have to update 12 apps to yeah true <laughs> to, just to stay afloat yeah this is it's actually going to be i think a pleasant summer and a pleasant release at least so far till they announce their you know apple siri speaker thing and just have to have an app for that yeah, yeah. The, part of the reason you're saying yeah. that is you didn't 
Right. Your apps aren't written in Swift. So the Swift developers oh. out there are going to have a somewhat busy summer migrating their apps. Uh, well, there's a migrator, right? There is. <laughs> yeah, there's a migrator. <laughs> and you can still stay on 2.3 or 2.2 two or whatever it was yeah. for a little while. 2.3 is essentially 2.2 two, two just for Xcode 8. Uh, so yeah. yeah, that's, that's definitely a nice improvement that you can kind of swap out the Swift tool chain that you're using. And just because you're upgrading to Xcode 8 doesn't mean you have to upgrade to Swift 3 right away, right. which previous releases we, Apple's been fairly aggressive in cutting off older versions of Xcode in, in recent years. So yeah, I'm still a little bit confused on the first argument thing now. It's like <laughs> they're saying use the first argument if it grammatically makes sense. And that's it. Yeah. So I think by, I think the default is supposed to be changing to include the first argument, but you could just do an underscore if you don't want to use it, um, or if you don't want to require it. Well, if they did something like if you have a function called draw point and then your first parameter, you would put the parameter label on it and call that at. So draw point at some CG point. So instead of saying something like draw, draw point at point. Yeah. And they're just trying to make the API look nice and read well. Yeah. But in other cases, maybe it didn't make sense to uh, yeah. put that first label on there. And so they allow you to still leave it out. So, yeah. so they have a session that covers that to some detail. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think for the most part, what they've done with Core Foundation and how they've managed to make Core Foundation more Swifty um, is some... There's some really nice improvements there. Right. Yeah. But they didn't rewrite it in Swift? Is that, is that a true statement? So there's, so there's a NSDate value type that is that, or, or I should say there's a date value type that wraps the NSDate reference type. And there's, okay. you know, a date for a specific, you know, a specific date is always the, the same value. So, um, but they did a really nice job of wrapping it, and uh, you get some nice, clean API. Same thing with, like, CG React and a bunch of other things. And, and there's a few mm -hmm. what looks like macros that you can add to your Objective-C code. To You know, if you want to write an Objective-C SDK or you have an Objective-C SDK, and you want to add um, information for the compiler swiftiness. to make it more swifty, uh, you can do that. Um, so there's, there's definitely some nice improvements, and I, I think they've done a good job in how they've they've made it uh, work well on both platforms without really being a complete rewrite. Because mm -hmm. it would just be too much at this point. Too much. And, complete rewrite. and, you know, there's still a lot of legacy out there that they have to support. So it's got to, you know, you can't just replace it. You've got to, you got to play nice in both platforms. So, yeah, you know, there's some good sessions on that. Like GCD, for example, what they did with that. And, you know, that was a C API that's now, now, um, you know, what you had before probably couldn't remember what the syntax is, and it's kind of this ugly <laughs> block syntax. Uh, yeah, especially dis dispatch once. Yeah. So now it's just like dispatch dot main dot async, and then you pass in your closure, your trailing closure. So yeah. it's it's a really clean API that wraps that C API. So you know, I think they did a good job with that. Oh yeah, it's definitely a good release. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some really nice things with Xcode. The visual debugger, I think, is probably the the thing, the demo that everybody saw and, and thought that this is going to solve, uh, make the uh, memory management debugging problems a lot easier to solve. Hopefully that plays out that way. 
you know, they've had lots of demos of instruments, then it's like, oh yeah, this looks easy. And then you go home and you, you try and run instruments on your, your own application. It's like, okay, I have <laughs> no idea how they got to where the problem was so easily. But that, that time picker has always been a weird one for me. Yeah. And there's, to try to remember. You know, I've watched the instruments videos several times and it's, it's hard to remember quite the right settings and how to drill in to get to what is actually important. And sometimes it's just not as obvious as the demos. Uh, this, right. this so far, the visual debugger looks like it's going to be pretty obvious to find those, those, uh, retain cycles, um, and, uh, you know, where you're over allocating objects and, you know, it, it seems like it's doing the obvious thing of showing you the object graph that's in memory. I'm pretty optimistic that that'll solve a lot of, uh, memory problems before they, they happen in production. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. it seems this... pretty cool. A lot of content out there to look at, to talk about. I think, yeah. you know, uh, over the next few weeks, we'll probably dive deep in a handful of these topics. Yeah. And if there's ones that you guys want us to dive deep into so that you can just listen to what we find, hey, just send us a little tweet shout out or uh, message us in the in our Slack chat, which you can get an invite to at chat.sharedinstance.com. And uh, our Twitter account is at sharedinst. You guys want to say uh, where you can be found on Twitter? I'm at AJ Robinson. And I'm at Alex Argo. And I'm at Sam Corder. So message any of us if you want or whatever. Let us know what you thought about this podcast. And, and uh, for those of you that we ran into, it was good to see some of our listeners and what they actually look like. Hopefully we didn't scare you with what we look like. Yeah. So great time. See you next week.